Thank you for the privilege and honor to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to you this morning. I am humbled. You are my church home, my church family, and you have walked with me through so much of my adult life, including my seminary journey and my road to ordination as a minister of word and sacrament. Thank you, and I love you. Because of this fact, I recognize that I was a little nervous to preach in front of you. I have preached numerous times to my classmates in seminary, my congregation where I interned in West Palm Beach, and at services in the chapel at the hospital I serve. But I have not preached to you, First Pres Fort Lauderdale. I was immediately reminded of what my my professor from my Proclaiming the Word class in seminary said to us on the first day. He said that Jesus is with you in the writing of your sermon, and when you proclaim it, and he gave us a visual. I want to share this visual with you. It is a statue located in Boston, Massachusetts, in front of Trinity Episcopal Church. It is a statue of clergyman Philip Brooks in Jesus. Philip Brooks said that Jesus is with him when he preaches, so a memorial statue was placed outside the church in his memory. This vigil brought me comfort in seminary and continues to. I hope that it brings you comfort in knowing that Jesus is with all of us each and every day in all that we do. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we gather here today to hear your word and to feel you close, we pray you will touch our heart and teach us what you want us to learn through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and Redeemer. Amen. As we continue on our journey with Jesus to the cross this Lenten season, it is a time to remember what Jesus has done for us and a time to articulate the call of Jesus to discipleship. During these 40 days to the cross with Jesus, we have the opportunity to not only contemplate the wonderful power of the cross of Christ, but the power inherent in taking up our own crosses. Our scripture text today is from the Gospel of Mark. Mark's narrative is energetic and known as a powerful drama divided into two acts based on geography with Act 1 being in the countryside of Galilee and Act 2 centered around Jerusalem. The second act also focuses on the element of discipleship and pointing us to the crucifixion, Jesus' death on the cross. The writer of the gospel who is fond of triads or groups of three presents three cycles of events during this phase of Jesus' ministry. Today's passage is in the midst of the first triad cycle. One, Jesus predicts his death to the disciples. Two, Peter, Jesus' disciple, rebukes Jesus. And three, Jesus teaches about cross-bearing discipleship. I invite you to read along in your Bibles or your Bible apps or um, the Bibles in the pews 
And as we move to the Gospel of Mark 8, 31 through 38, I'm going to be reading from my Bible that was my mother's Bible, and I feel her close here with me today. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Football season just ended a couple of weeks ago. I'm always sad when it's over. I grew up watching football with my dad, and it was a great bonding experience with him. It made me appreciate football during my college years with the number one Seminoles at the time, and it is now nice watching with my husband and sons. I have come to think of this time as an unconventional spiritual practice. Even though the Super Bowl has passed, the NFL does a great job of keeping us engaged with other events, such as the draft. The draft actually is actually quite an art, selecting players, which include a lot of hours, scoring the U.S. for talent, mixed in with a little bit of luck. Sometimes players that are selected high in the draft, who are a can't-miss, can actually become a miss. And the teams that find those hidden gems in the later rounds are usually the ones that become Super Bowl contenders. Case in point, Brock Purdy, who was the very last pick in the draft two years ago, nicknamed for that position Mr. Irrelevant. But sometimes the last pick in the draft can inspire a team, and in this case, a minister in her sermon. As I said before, Jesus leads us and guides us as ministers of word and sacrament as we prepare sermons. Jesus led me to this interview segment of Brock Purdy as he was preparing for the Super Bowl, the biggest stage of his sport, and I want to share with you. Listen for the words that were in our scripture today as Brock shares how he is a disciple of Jesus Christ. I mean, honestly, one of the things that you know I had been reading throughout the season was uh, Mark eight thirty four talks about Jesus is telling his disciples, "If you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me." And it also talks about um, if you try to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. Mm. And so I think really that is just like I feel like the message of the whole season with all the stuff that had happened, coming in, playing, 
um, and having success um, and maintaining that success, getting to the playoffs and doing all these things that, you know, a rookie quarterback hadn't really done in NFL history. And with myself and, like, my mindset with it was exactly that, that verse that Jesus had told his disciples thousands of years ago. Um, and I didn't want to grip on to this life of, oh, my gosh, I'm in the NFL. I have a starting quarterback role. I'm, you know, I, I can't lose it. That was, it was flipped. I was reminded, you know, um, of what Jesus had told, told us um, mm-hmm. thousands of years ago in terms of don't try to hold on to your life. You're going to lose it, you know, and the world wants you to go this way or that way. And uh, the, the minute you have fame and if you're trying to chase status and money and all this kind of stuff, it's, you'll lose your life um, rather than, you know, denying yourself, picking up your cross, keeping my eyes on Jesus and his promises. And um, through that, like that's, that's life and that's, um, a life worth living and that's how you save your life and that's in Christ so as you can see Mr. Irrelevant has become very relevant when it comes to Jesus Brock Purdy is sharing in this clip what it means to him to be a disciple of Jesus Christ what he learned from Jesus in our scripture text for today that he is more than football he denies himself and takes up the cross Purdy gave this interview before the Super Bowl. Even though his team lost, if I had to guess, Purdy didn't like losing the game. He is competitive, but he carries his cross, and as a disciple of Jesus, he seeks the glory of God over his own glory. Jesus, in today's passage, gives us instruction and requirements of discipleship. Those counted as a follower, disciple, must take action, Jesus says. To follow Jesus means more than just identifying yourself as a Christ follower. Jesus is telling us in this passage that when we say yes to being a disciple of Jesus, we are to renounce our own ambitions and follow Jesus wholly, even to the point of death. The great paradox of the Christian faith is that by denying ourselves and following God's way, we inherit true life. This partnership in suffering and in glory is Jesus' point in the passage. To gain true freedom and to share in Christ's glory, we must first take up our cross and follow him. The great theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ's suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachment of this world. Freedom from the things of this world means freedom to become all that God wants us to be. During the season of Lent, this question is a good question to ask ourselves. What does it mean to be a faithful disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Christian? The Gospel of Mark wants us to understand what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah in order for us to understand what it means for us to be a disciple of Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus announces that his destiny includes great suffering, rejection by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and death, while he also announces that he will rise again after three days. It appears that this most important detail of rising after three days somehow goes unnoticed by the disciples. It is no wonder. At the mention of suffering, rejection, and death, all listening stops. 
Disciples can bear no more. This kind of talk is totally unacceptable. And even if they hear that last part, it is but the final foolishness in Jesus' insufferable scenario. No need for a resurrection for a Messiah would never suffer and die. Yet this is clearly what Jesus is teaching. This is what Messiahship means for Jesus. The unacceptable is followed by the unbelievable. Peter rebukes Jesus. Imagine the scene. Peter walks over to Jesus, puts his arm around him, and takes him aside to set him straight about Messiahship. Suffering, rejection, and death are not on the agenda. Prestige, power, and dominion are the agenda. It's David's throne we're after, ruling the nations with power and might. We signed on for a crown, not a cross. Peter was blinded by his own preconceptions. His cherished convictions about what the Messiah's agenda would be would not allow him to see what the Messiah's agenda must be. How often are we guilty of this? Arrogantly, we assume that we know what must be done so that even a word from Jesus himself cannot dissuade us. Jesus hears Peter out, then turning and looking at all the disciples, he rebukes Peter, and what a rebuke it is. Peter is speaking for Satan, the great deceiver, Jesus says. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Satan was out to change his course, to turn him away from the cross, to be another kind of Messiah. But it is not possible. Without the cross, there is no crown. Peter's rebuke reflects the way we humans think, Jesus says. The way to victory is the way of power and might. Just look at human history. Just look at our own lives and society. God is not conformed to human expectations or desires, for God is found in uncertainty, danger, and suffering, precisely where human wisdom precedes God's absence. Here is a modern example. An American businessman was at the pier of a small coastal Mexican village when a small boat with just one fisherman docked. Inside the small boat were several large yellowfin tuna. The American complimented the Mexican on the quality of his fish and asked how long it took to catch them. The Mexican replied, only a little while. The American then asked, well, then why didn't you stay out longer and catch more fish? The Mexican said he had enough to support his family's immediate needs. The American then asked, but what do you do with the rest of your time? The Mexican fisherman said, I sleep late, I fish a little, play with my children, take siesta with my wife, stroll into the village each evening where I sip wine, play guitar with my amigos. I have a full and busy life, senor. The American scoffed, I am a Harvard MBA and could help you. You should spend more time fishing and with the proceeds buy a bigger boat and with the proceeds from the bigger boat, you could buy several boats. Eventually, you would have a fleet of fishing boats. Instead of selling your catch to a middleman, you would sell directly to the processor, eventually open your own cannery. You would control the product, processing, and distribution. You would need to leave this small coastal fishing village and move to Mexico City, then Los Angeles, and eventually New York City, where you will run your expanding enterprise. 
The, Mexi the Mexican fisherman asked, but senor, how long will this all take? To which the American replied, 15 to 20 years. But what then, senor? The American laughed and said, well, that's the best part. When the time is right, you would announce an IPO and sell your company stock to the public and become very rich. You would make millions. Millions, senor? Then what? The American said, then you would retire and move to a small coastal fishing village where you would sleep late and fish a little and play with your kids and take siesta with your wife and stroll to the village in the evenings where you could sip wine and play your guitar with your amigos. Sometimes our American culture thinks about things that are bigger. Bigger is always better. We get so caught up in the success syndrome of our culture that we forget the way of Jesus, which called us to simplicity and in our text today to a life of self-denial. Another requirement for discipleship that Jesus teaches is of the great reversal. The humble inherit the earth. From a human perspective, it sometimes seems as if the wicked prosper and the powerful succeed. But in the end, there will be a great reversal, as God brings low the proud and exalts the humble. Where those considered to be righteous turn out to be only self-righteous. And those who demonstrate humility and servanthood become models for kingdom living. As long as self reigns, we will forever be seeking painless shortcuts to the kingdom. We will try and try again to substitute another way for the way of the cross. But only when we deny self and take up the cross can we follow Jesus. The Summer Olympics are happening this summer in Paris. And one of the biggest stories to come out of the Tokyo 2020 Olympics was Simone Biles' decision to pull out of the artistic gymnastics team competition for mental health reasons. Of course, there were some who, like Peter with Jesus, were ashamed of her for her choice. They did not like that she was bucking the mold and image of the American success. They thought it weak and selfish and against the ethos of American grit and determination that overcomes all weakness. Simone's decision, though, was to choose a different way. The consequence of her choice meant that her team would not have her scores. Professional gymnasts have explained how for an elite athlete of Simone's caliber, she could easily have been paralyzed by trying to do what she does while suffering from what they called the twisties, a disconnect between the brain and the body. We saw that by choosing her own safety in that moment, she was choosing to trust that her safety is more important than another gold medal. Then she tweeted this. The outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments in gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. It turns out this choice to view her life as bigger than an Olympic performance enabled her to experience an even deeper truth. To use the image that Jesus uses, Simone realized that her life force has nothing to do with her accomplishments at all. Like Simone, we can think that's true, 
But until we have to make some decisions based on it, becoming wholly dependent on the grace of God, let ourselves melt into the mold of discipleship and its practices, we won't know it is true. All of our attempts to save our lives are futile. All our efforts to make another way are a denial of the one who showed us the way, the way of the cross. This is true discipleship. In the end, true messiahship and true discipleship are inexplicably connected. When we are finally willing to accept Jesus for who he is, the suffering one who lays down his life for others, then we can understand who we are to be. And deny self, we can take up the cross and follow him and live abundantly with a God who loves us so much. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Gracious God, your son Jesus Christ bore the cross for our salvation and was raised from the dead for the redemption of the world. Give us the courage to take up our cross and follow him that through this grace we may accept the cost of faithful discipleship and receive the joy of everlasting life with Christ, both now and forever. Amen.